Amen. Thank you, Pastor. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So the first book of the New Testament, Matthew uh, chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 25 uh, through 34. Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34. Uh, And as you're turning there, I'll just remind you last week we talked about uh, entering this new year uh, with an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective and expectant prayer. And next week we'll start a new series uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes that's going to coordinate with the start of community groups. With a curriculum that all of our groups are going to be using this year uh, to start the year and go beyond it. Uh, Our series will take us all the way up to Easter. And we're encouraging our groups to, to start this year by meeting remotely meeting on Zoom once again in the hopes that at some point in the near future we can return uh, to in-person meetings again. One of our core values as a church is deep connection. We recognize that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, creates a community, and it's an uncommon community. But that value of deep connection is something that has been exceedingly difficult to live out these last 10 months. And we're convinced that community groups are one of the main ways that deep connections are formed and that deep connections flourish. And so we desire that for you. And if you were in a community group before the pandemic, uh, we would call you to re-engage starting next week as all of our groups begin with a study on contentment. And if you right now have not been a part of a community group or not consistently been a part of a community group, then we would encourage you to take this opportunity to connect with other Back Creekers, to grow uh, together with others in the grace of God and in deep connection with one another. Uh, So I'd ask you this week to to please contact me if you are interested in joining a community group. My email is in the bulletin. So is Pastor Matt Mantus. And you can uh, email or call the church office as well. And let us know that you want to be a part of a community group. And we'll make sure to get you connected for the start of this study. This morning, I want us to consider one more focus for starting a new year. Now, these things that we have been talking about, eternal perspective and expectant prayer, and what we're going to talk about today are good to return to and to refresh and to renew to start any year. But I think they are especially crucial for this year, specifically because this year isn't just any year. We are still in the throes of a global pandemic. Our lives are not as they were. Our church is not as it was or how we want it to be. Though we have reason to be hopeful for the future, we are still in this season of waiting. And I'll be honest, it is hard. It is frustrating. It is disappointing. It is sad. It is lonely. It is discouraging. It can be and has been divisive and anxiety is high. But I want us also to recognize that as we look to the scriptures and as we look to the history of God's people, we will see that faith often grows best in times of trial. And the church often works best in times of suffering. When we look to God's word and the history of God's people, we see that faith often grows best in times of trial. And the church often works best in times of suffering. Because of this, 
I want to encourage all of us to welcome 2021 and all that comes with it as an opportunity to see our faith individually and as a church, to see our faith and our works grow and flourish, to embrace 2021 as it is right now and as it will be as it unfolds with eternal perspective, with expectant prayer, and with enduring priorities. Enduring priorities. In this passage that we're about to read, Jesus calls us to kingdom reorientation, to reorient and refocus our lives and our priorities around the things that will endure. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. And if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. All of God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all of it is essential. All of it is beautiful. All of it is important and to be listened to, obeyed, and honored by us. But here, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks directly to his people. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how, much, how, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord and ask for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our Father. We thank you for how we see your provision in all of creation. We give you praise for all that you have made, the entirety of the universe and all of its glory and splendor and order, the, the amazing biodiversity that we can't even really comprehend. And Lord, you have made us as well in your image for fellowship and relationship with you, to know you intimately as the one who provides for us. And so Lord, help us. We are anxious people. We are worried people. We are scared people. And we need you now to minister to us again through your word that we might rest in you. Oh Lord, help us, we ask expectantly in the name of Jesus. Amen.
You may be seated. Many of you may know the name Corey Ten Boom. She was a, a Christian in Holland who together with her family saved many Jewish people and helped them escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust by hiding them together with her family in their home. And eventually, the Ten Boom family was caught and they were distributed to different concentration camps. And Corey and her sister Betsy were taken to the same camp and they began to hold worship services for the other prisoners through which many of them came to know Christ. After a while, Betsy's health began to deteriorate there in the camp. And before she died, she told Corey, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And Corey continued after Betsy's death to trust the Lord. And ultimately, she was finally released after she found out that her release was the result of a clerical error that otherwise she would have been scheduled for execution. And having faced these intense trials, and even death itself, surely there were times when Corey felt anxious about her circumstances, about her needs, and about what might become of her. Yet one thing the Lord was teaching her in all of this time was something that she wrote later. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Worry empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Three times in this short passage, Jesus repeats the command, do not be what? Uh Uh-oh, are y'all sleeping? Jesus repeats the command, do not be what? Anxious. And in context, as we will see, this is not a temporary command. This is not a seasonal command. This is a universal command for all of God's people in all times and in all places. It applies right now to us in the midst of one of the most anxiety-producing seasons most of us can remember. There is anxiety about the pandemic, anxiety about politics, anxiety about the economy, anxiety about how different our lives are and how long they are going to stay that way. Worry is everywhere we look. It is dominating our country and our culture and our world right now. And for many of us, if we are honest, worry is dominating our hearts and minds as well. And the crazy thing is, We don't really need a global pandemic or political turmoil or economic uncertainty or racial tension or cultural decline to make us anxious. For a lot of us, even when things are relatively calm and normal in our lives, we still find reasons to worry, don't we? And I want to be clear. Most of our worries come from a good place and center on good things. Most of our worries that we experience come from a good place, and they center on good things, blessings in our lives. Everything that Jesus mentions in this passage is not bad, it is good. He talks about life, that's good. Drink, that's good. Food, that is good. 
These are all blessings from God. We rightly love and desire these things and more. Parents and children are good. Companionship and friendship are good. Work is good. Romance is good. Health is good. Resources are good. But, and this is crucial, all of those good things, all of those blessings from God are also fleeting. As much enrichment as these blessings bring into our lives, all of them are finite and fleeting. We will outlive them or they will outlive us, and that's the best case scenario. At any given moment of our lives, any one of these things can be gone from us. I'm reading the Bible through again in 2021, and I'm reading a chronological plan. And so you start with Genesis 1 through 11, and then you shift to Job. And reading in Job chapter 1 a few uh, days ago, I was struck once again about how in one fell swoop, in just one moment, in these successive reports from his surviving servants, Job finds out that he has lost almost every blessing in his life, that all of his livestock, gone, all of his Servants and employees, gone. All of his beloved children, gone. Tim Keller says that when good things, finite and fleeting things, become the one thing that we think that we have to have in order to be happy, when we gaze on them and seek after them and adore them to the point that we believe we cannot joyfully receive life unless we have them, when good desires become inordinate and disproportionate desires, when we begin to experience debilitating worry and anxiousness over them, and when that happens, our priorities become defined by them and the pursuit of them becomes our aim and our end. Worry and anxiousness often reveal disordered priorities around finite and fleeting things. Worry and anxiousness often reveal disordered priorities around finite and fleeting things. And the truth is, it never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only robs today of its strength. In contrast, Jesus calls us to enduring priorities and commanding us, do not be anxious. Three times, Jesus says, do not be anxious. And every time the command is preceded by the word, therefore, it could also be translated, so. What it means is that every time this command is given, it is on the basis of something that precedes it. Jesus is saying, in light of this truth, in light of this reality, do not be anxious. So we will let the preceding realities that form the foundation of Jesus' command to also form the structure of the rest of this message and ask, that the Lord's, uh, ask the Lord that his words here would not only free us from anxiousness and from worry, but also free us to live out enduring priorities that glorify God and bless his people. Why, according to Jesus, should we not be anxious? 
The first reason we see here is because God is our master. God is our master. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Well, food and water and clothes are pretty important. So why does Jesus tell us that we are not to worry about them? On what basis? Well, to get that, we have to read the immediate context, a verse that we didn't read. Look with me at verse 24. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word there for money is mammon, and it doesn't just contain the idea of currency, it also contains the idea of possessions. In other words, you cannot live your life for or prioritize your life around both God and stuff. You cannot serve two masters. And my tendency here, both for myself and for you, is to try to soften this blow for us and remind us that there is actually nothing wrong with stuff. After all, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from heaven. But I think it's crucial for us to hear and grapple with what Jesus says so clearly here. If you love money, if you love possessions, if you love stuff, if you serve them and prioritize your life around them, if the pursuit and the aim of your life is accumulating and devoting your time and your energy and your resources to stuff, Jesus says you hate and despise God. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other it is time for a brutal fearless examination of ourselves brothers and sisters because it is so easy for us to believe that we can in fact serve two masters and this is where so much of our worry and anxiousness comes from it is so easy for us to believe that we can structure our lives around Jesus and I can serve Jesus and family I can serve Jesus and career I can serve Jesus and my dreams and my desires I can serve Jesus and my possessions Jesus says, no, you can't. Those things are good. They are blessings from God. They are good blessings, but they are terrible masters. And when you allow them to serve as your master, when you believe that you can have Jesus and, when the finite and the fleeting dominate our priorities, then we are dominated by worry and by anxiousness. Then we run around saying, what, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to do? And the real irony and tragedy is that then we even miss out on the real value of the very things that we're worrying about them. Jesus asks, is not life 
more than food and the body more than clothing? It's only when we recognize that we were not created for the world and everything in it, that we were created for almighty God, the God who created everything. When we realize that he alone is worthy and able to be our master, when he is seen rightly as the source and the aim and the end of our lives, when we see that all of the good blessings of our lives are not to be served, but are to be used as a means to serve him, then those blessings find their right place and priority and value in our lives with God alone as our master. And when our master is not something that is finite and fleeting, but someone who is infinite and eternal and unchangeable, when we do not live to serve the things we cannot control, but to serve the one who controls all the things, when we, then we are free from the debilitating worry that has sapped both our strength and our service. And it gets better still. God is not a master that is a taskmaster who judges you based on what you produce. He's a master who loves you, who delights in you and values you as you are. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is a resounding yes. You are much more important than they. You are infinitely more important than they. So if God cares for them, what are you worried about? Anxious, exhausted child of the living God, are you ready to try a different way? Ask the Lord today, to reveal to you if and how you have been trying to serve two masters. Confess and repent of hating your true master by serving Jesus and with all the worry and anxiousness that that has caused. Commit to live by God's grace with him as your singular master and pray for him to provide everything that you will need for every moment to do that. Why should we not be anxious? Because God is our master. The second thing we see here is that we are not to be anxious because God is our provider. In verse 31, Jesus again says, therefore, do not be anxious. On the basis of what? On the basis of God's good provision for you of everything that you need, as we see in the preceding verses. Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add even an hour to his span of life. Last week, Psalm 90 called us to number our days. Why? Because our days are, in fact, numbered. The Lord has provided to us all of the days we will ever need, all of the time you will ever need to, per to fulfill the purposes for which he created you. God is sovereign over life and over death, and he has established your time on the earth. And what Henry Martin said is true. You are immortal until God's purposes for you in this world are complete. The psalmist declares in Psalm 139, verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days formed for me when as yet 
There were none of them. Brothers and sisters, you have all the time that you need by God's good provision. It may not be all of the time that you want, but that too reveals our attachment to this world and the things in it above the eternal joy that awaits us. We have exactly all the time that we need. We cannot, by worrying, add even an hour to our span of life. Isn't that freeing? To know that the God who loves you, who is your provider, has provided you with all of the time that you will ever need and not a second more and not a second less. God will provide everything. Your loving master holds your life in his hand. Therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus goes on in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Child of God, I would ask you, has God faithfully provided for you? Do you see his hand of provision for your physical and spiritual needs in your life? Andrew Peterson sings a song about God's provision called, Isn't It Love? And some of the lyrics go like this. Lost my luggage in Kalamazoo the same way I tend to lose my conscience too. Another day in these dirty old blues and I don't seem to mind. This is a thing that confounds me. You can find me. You surround me and remind me. I lose my way and forget about you, but you still remember me. Isn't it love, this rain that falls on the sinners and the saints? Isn't it love, this well that won't run dry? When I think about that prodigal son, I've got a smile when I see the old man run. And I know that you love us just the same. Because the sun came up today just as if we deserved it. Just as if any one of us fools was worth it. Truth is, we'll never be perfect. But you love us just the same. Isn't it love, this rain that falls on the sinners and the saints? Isn't it love, this well that won't run dry? Isn't it love to look down from the sky and see your only son on the cross asking why, and somehow let him die that way and not call the whole thing off. All this for this man stuck in Kalamazoo loses his bags and his way sometimes too, but that was something you already knew, and still you died for me. Isn't it love? Anxious, exhausted child of God, worried about provision. Hear the words of God, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, 
who provides food for the birds of the air, who provides splendid garments for the flowers of the field, God who provided for your greatest need through the sacrifice of his own son. How is it that you expect him to withhold from you the provision of what you need sufficient to the day at hand? And that brings us to our final point. We can be free from worry and from anxiousness because God is our master, because God is our provider, but lastly, because God is our father. God is our father. Once more in verse 34, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. This time he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, about what you will need, about what will be required of you, about what might happen. He says, do not be anxious on what basis. Back to verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. If right now, someone was able to look into your heart, and into your mind, and into your house, and into your bank account, and into your priorities, would they be able to find any difference between you and an unbeliever in terms of your anxiousness, in terms of what you're seeking after, in, ter- in terms of what you structure your life around? Is there a difference between you who is in Christ and a pagan who is not? The Gentiles, people who do not know the Lord, live as orphans in the world, and they do that for a good reason. They are orphans in the world. They are without hope and without God in this world. As far as they know, they have to fend for themselves, so they do, seeking after all the finite and fleeting things of this world. Can we not see anxiety and worry all over the place in our country and in our world? Think of what just happened at the Capitol building of our nation and how panicked some people are over the loss of political power and what it caused them to do. Look at the panic surrounding a pandemic and how so many people are anxious and on edge as a result of it. What makes perfect sense for people who have no heavenly father to live this way? It makes absolutely zero sense for people who have and know the Heavenly Father to live this way. The hope of the gospel is that God has made us his beloved children through Christ. He is our good, good Father, and there is absolutely nothing in this world that we could ever need that he will not provide, and there is nothing in this world that we can do without if we have him as our treasure, our master, our provider, and our Father. So our focus shifts. Our priorities change and our lives testify that there is something more, that there is something better than the finite and fleeting things of this world. There is a king and there is a kingdom and there is a righteousness to seek after. There are truly enduring priorities for us to structure our lives around. And they end in eternal life and eternal joy with the all-surpassing treasure, God himself, master, provider, and father. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What does that mean? It means structuring your life around God. It means your relationship with him and his rule and reign over everything is to be demonstrated in your life. Very simply, it means making faith and obedience the enduring priorities of your life. Faith and obedience, the enduring priorities of your life, relying fully on God's grace. Seek hard after him in word and in prayer, in worship together with his people, in learning and doing everything that he has commanded in every part of our lives. And be kind to yourself. The pursuit of Christ's kingdom and his righteousness is just that. It is a pursuit. Jesus says, seek, not arrive at. This seeking is not an an anxious seeking, but a restful one that delivers us from anxiousness and from worry. Remember, Jesus says, come to me. Seek after me. All of you who are weary and burdened and anxious, and I will give you more work to do. Right? Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and anxious and fearful, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. When we live this, It will make us different. And it will make the Gentiles want what we have. As I prepared this message, the lyrics of a hymn just kept coming to my mind over again. And as they did, I searched for the origin of the words of the hymn. And what I found was that the writer, Thomas Chisholm, was a man who, by the world's standards, had a lot to worry about. From his childhood, he struggled with limiting health concerns and his disabilities affected almost everything that he tried to do and caused him to fail at almost everything that he did. But not everything. See, Thomas knew and loved Jesus and one of the things that he was great at was expressing his love for Christ and Christ's love for him in poetry. And he wrote to a friend, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which followed me until now. Don't you hear there? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? My income has not been very great in all these years. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. And so, though disabled all his life, though probably uh, having reason to be anxious about a great many things, instead looking back over the provision that God had given him all of his life, Thomas Chisholm put pen to paper and he began to write these words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. 
as thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, all I have needed, all I have ever needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God is our master. He is our provider. And he is our father. Therefore, O child of God, do not be anxious. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you. We thank you for ruling over us as our master. We thank you for giving us everything that we need as our provider. We thank you for loving us as our father. Oh Lord, I pray today that you would use these words from your word to free us from our worry and our fear and our anxiousness. Lord, deliver us for your name's sake so that we can live life in the world that is free from what afflicts everyone else in the world because we know that the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. Oh Lord, let us taste and see once again that you are good and that you are sufficient. There is nothing in this world that we can't live without if we have you. Lord, help us to be a non-anxious presence in the lives of those around us, particularly those who do not yet know you. And Lord, would you use our non-anxious presence to open doors that we might speak to others the hope of the gospel, that they too might know the peace of having you as their master, provider, and father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word once more in song.